that's why this year's experience, which was, you know, I wouldn't have wished it on my worst enemy. Now I wouldn't trade for anything. I wouldn't give it away because it in it has the potential for the work I now need to do. And, and yeah, maybe there were prompts before this year's crash of like something tapping me on the shoulder saying, Hey, we need to change. We need to change. But I obviously wasn't listening. Um, and that's the gift. The gift is that I didn't even know that this was the work I needed to do until now to befriend myself, to feast on my life. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Hello again, this is Dan Pod from Reboot. Before we get started, I wanted to share some happy news. Not long after the last podcast episode, my wife and I welcomed a beautiful baby girl, Camille Lari, on Thanksgiving. Lari was my mother's name. And after a few bumpy days, everyone is happy and healthy. I really resisted my temptation to speak again to my daughters in this introduction though this conversation certainly inspired me to do so. But instead, I felt like I wanted to share a story about my first Reboot Bootcamp, which I remember really like it was yesterday. I remember the crisp, clean air of Devil's Thumb, and the sweeping mountain views. It just really took my breath away. It was my first camp, and along with some amazing CEOs and my Reboot friends and partners, an old friend of mine showed up as well. My old buddy, an inner voice that spoke very loudly the moment I stepped foot on Devil's Thumb. He welcomed me. Who the fuck do you think you are? That first camp was so difficult for me, not because of anything the amazing campers did or something about the time with my reboot partners, but because the voice just had a field day. It yelled and yelled and I got smaller and smaller. He's right, I remember thinking and feeling and I could just feel myself shrink in the room. Who was I, a guy who was a struggling entrepreneur 12 to 18 months before? Who was I to sit here as a facilitator for talented, successful, and open-hearted leaders? The voice and I wanted to be invisible, and then, well, then I'd be safe. But what if the voice wasn't trying to hold me down? What if the voice didn't want to hurt me and make me feel small? What if it just loved me and wanted to keep me safe, but like a confused young child, didn't have any other way of showing that love? And what if I could see that voice as one of love instead of the critical, harsh truth? We all have a version of this voice. I'm deepening my relationship with mine, and now I can appreciate its words like a good friend giving ideas but I know that I don't have to take them. Our guest, too, is starting the process of shifting the relationship with his voice. Rob Simington is co-founder of Escape the City, an organization itself that helps people escape work that isn't deeply fulfilling and energizing for them. And yet, he hasn't been able to escape himself, to escape the burnout, the depression, and the voice. But in his work with a coach and in this conversation with Jerry, a new way of being with that voice emerges. What if the voice isn't that of a harsh critic, but that of an encouraging, loving friend? Enjoy. Hey there, folks, it's Jerry. I just recently had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Jay Levy. Jay is a terrific investor that I've known for a couple of years from New York. And I asked him about his experience both at our investor bootcamp as well as his experience in participating in what we call our reboot circles following the camp. Take a listen to what he has to say. What bootcamp and then subsequently the circles really showed me or alerted me to is that my feelings were not abnormal. And your brother. There were there a lot of us, I'd say, probably the majority of that room and the majority of the circle feeling the same thing. 
you know, having, having people to talk through that and realize that, okay, this isn't just me feeling this, this is, this is the industry and we need to figure out how to deal with it, uh, to be successful. And I think that's what the circle, um, have helped with quite a bit. We are currently forming six new circles for roles, including CEO, head of people, VP of E, and more. Find your group at reboot.io slash circles. If we hope to go anywhere or develop ourselves in any way, we can only step from where we are standing. If we don't really know where we are standing, we may only go in circles. John kabat Hey, Rob, it's really great to see you and to meet you. And uh, even if it's not uh, in person, it certainly feels live. So, Hey, Jerry. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, that, that, it's our pleasure, and thank you for volunteering to come on. Before we get started, why don't you take, just take a moment and introduce yourself? Okay, so my name's Rob Simmington. Uh, I'm the co-founder of an organization here in London called Escape the City. Uh, and Escape is essentially a community for career changers. Uh, the city in London is the kind of the financial heartland, so our name basically represents um, helping people move away from unfulfilling jobs in big corporates, um, typically towards more entrepreneurial career paths, uh, startups or starting their own thing or finding an exciting new um, avenue for employment. Personally, uh, I've lived in London for the last nine years. I've got a six-month-old baby daughter, uh, and sadly, we had to move off the narrow boat in order to have her. Um, but we spent the last four years trying to be as a city as we could in London without actually leaving the physical city. <laughs> so that's me and me in a nutshell. And tell me a little bit more about why you came on. And, and I want to acknowledge really at the start that you, uh, a few months back, wrote a beautiful, well, you shared on Medium, a beautiful, um, deeply authentic email that you'd sent to your team about your experiences with burnout, but, and I know that that's not necessarily the content here, but it's related. And I wanted to mention it because I want to make sure our, our listeners really key into that as well. But, but tell mm. me, tell me what it is that you were hoping to speak to and, and have a dialogue about as you reached out. Well, I, having spent five years in a business, um, from a kitchen table upwards and experiencing the roller coaster that, you know, any founder goes on. Um, I eventually worked myself into a place of such, um, such exhaustion and pain, both sort of physical, but mainly mental that I, I had, I burnt out, I stopped functioning and had to take four to six months completely away from the business. Um, and in doing so, and then, and then through the process, the painful process of kind of trying to make sense of the experience and put myself back to the, um, there were a couple of things. One was the, the realization that I knew I'd be from the only person who ha had gone through an experience like this. And, and I was motivated to share just because when I was going through it and feeling so lost, I was, I got so much support from other people who'd been brave enough to say, Hey, this is what I went through. So there was that side of things. And then there were so many insights from that experience that were relevant both to the organization that we're building and what our, our organization stands for publicly. And so I just knew that I wouldn't be able to, that there was so much value in this experience to share and to make sense of uh, beyond just myself um, that I knew I needed to make sense of it more publicly, more widely with my team and then, and then with the community here in London. You know, we could have a dialogue about depression and burnout. And I thought that your descriptions of uh, the experience were uh, of being in that either situationally depressed state or a chronically depressed state were are beautiful and um, reveal both an intellectual awareness and an emotional intelligence that I really admire. And there's something else going on here which I think you put your finger on it, which was, so here's this organization that we all came together to found to create the ability to escape, interesting forward, the mm -hmm. city, but really it's about escaping a way of being in our relationship to work. Mm 
only to find yourself in full circle right back into the thing that you were trying to run away from in the first place. And our listeners can't see your face, but you're smiling. <laughs> right? Is there an irony in, in this? Yeah, th there's an irony. And, and when you're in that bottom of the depressed state, you just feel like a fraud. Yeah. But actually, actually, there's an authenticity in it, too. Yeah. Which is this realization that, of course, of course, we're going to replicate a bunch of dysfunctions internally without awareness and without understanding. Oh, I'm not going there. We've never led an organization before, so we don't know what it's like to not fall into these traps. And it's almost like we had to fall into them to now more authentic climb our way out of them. Well, I, I, I love the emotional intelligence implicit in that structure that you just uh, identified, which was that was the realization that the pause that the depression and burnout caused you to have is actually a gift. And it recalls for me um, a quote, one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite writers, a guy named Parker Palmer. In the book, uh, Let Your Life Speak, he writes about his own depression. After hours of careful listening, my therapist offered an image that helped me eventually reclaim my life. Quote, you seem to look upon depression as the hand of an enemy trying to crush you, he said. Do you think you could see it instead as the hand of a friend, pressing you down to ground on which it is safe to stand? That quote came to mind as I started thinking about our call this morning. Mm. Do you have any reactions to that? Yes, both because Parker Palmer's words were one of the few hours of hope that I found when I was frantically googling my way out of this. Yeah. So I'm familiar with those words, and they're beautiful. And also, um, the person who helped me make sense of what the gift was. Mm -hmm. is actually, I know um, someone who you've worked with here in London called Elle Harrison. Yeah, who's a brilliant coach in her own right. Yeah. Right. And, and it was... And working with L, um, the, narrative, the only narrative I had was, uh, you're broken, you're weak, um, you can't hack it. Um, you know, I was doing some CBT, behavioral therapy here in London, but the only thing that I really got from that was like, oh, there's nothing wrong with how you're living or how you're being or what you're doing. You just got some thinking distortion. Mm -hmm. And I leave each of these sessions feeling really, really bad about myself. Yeah. And it was in the first call with Elle where she said, this sounds, this doesn't sound like you're weak or broken. This is an initiation, Rob. There's something here for you to um, discover, to learn, start getting curious about this experience. And, and I'm getting those as I tell you that, because that was at which I regained even just a tiny fraction of hope that, that, that this could make sense. It wasn't just a crappy, painful experience. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think Elle's, Elle's uh, guidance um, uh, is incredibly powerful because it, it feels like it's, it, it, it took you into this line of inquiry, um, which Parker really sort of speaks to, which is, wait a minute, this experience is forcing me to look at my life in a different way. And now to sort of pull it back, I, what I hear you doing is, is also saying, okay, what actually were we doing at this company? Mm, mm. Right? Because here we were, a bunch of gorgeous, brokenhearted, idealistic people who were committing ourselves to creating the means by which others can support their transformation, only right. to find ourselves in that worn out burned out, depleted state again. Mm. And uh, I imagine, and I have some ideas about what's going on in this, but to go back to your own words, which again, you don't have in front of you, but I do. So <laughs> ha -ha. you wrote in response to the question, what is your top challenge? You said undergoing a business transformation process from vision to strategy to people 
process, and operations, whilst keeping the show on the road, whilst recovering from burnout. Trying to build a progressive organization along B Corp reinventing organization lines, while also trying to assure business survival and progress. Mm. So there's sort of two things going on here, which is how can we walk the talk? How can we live out what's going on? What actually is going on? And how do mm. we build an organization simultaneously that is sustainable? Mm. Mm. that is financially sound. Mm. Am I naming some things correctly? Yeah, absolutely. You are, and it's that sense of, in the immediate term, you can't build an innovative organization if you can't build a sustainable one. So you need the foundations. Uh, and and I think what, what you're describing is reminding me of how much of our leadership Talking about Dom, this lovely friend and, and my co-founder who I've now worked alongside for seven years and myself, how so much of our leadership over, especially the last couple of years, was um, basically fear-driven. Yes. Fear-driven because of that sense of responsibility yeah. and that idea of we're really the only people here who are ultimately on the hook for payroll and business survival. Um, now that chicken and egg because when you don't let go of control uh by definition you're creating the condition where you can be the only people focusing on these things so if i reflect over the last couple of years and, and the six months before burnout it was this increasing feeling of like we're trying to aspire to so much impressive stuff with this organization but we've also got to keep the lights on yeah um yeah and a lot of unhelpful stuff came from that fear. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hear that fear and I want, I, I, if you're willing, I'd like to sort of do a little deeper dive with you on this because sure. I think that your emotional intelligence and self-awareness is extraordinary. Not surprising given what you've committed yourself to in your life to. And I have a feeling that there may be something else going on here because you also speak about your perfectionism. And you also speak about your drive. And so, and you start to see that there's a kind of layered relationship between perfectionism, the aspirational goals that you have. We want to create this means by which people escape the city or escape their lives mm -hmm. and transform. And that creates this powerful, powerful driver in which you yourself get lost. You know, in my parlance, we often talk about, quote, disappearing into the fire, this notion of giving ourselves over to everything. Mm. And I often caution that it's really easy to see that process as something that only happens to bankers in the city. When, in fact, it's just as easy to happen to those who've committed themselves to doing well in the world, to doing good in the world. Right. And I think you are a living embodiment of that. And so it's not at all surprising that there was a reenactment, if you will, of the kind of uh, dissolution of self that led to the burnout. Mm -hmm. So I want to take you back a level. OK. And I want to make an observation here. And the observation is that the organizations in my experience, the organizations that have suffered the most in creating the conditions that we are trying to escape from, that you and your colleagues are trying to escape from, are actually not what we would consider the most nefarious organizations. Bankers, insurance companies, what government, right? It's the organizations whose values are the highest aspirations. It's those who commit themselves in this sort of conscious way of doing good without actually exploring the fear behind the fear. And so let's name the first level of fear. Your first level of fear was, I imagine, something along the lines of not living up to the aspiration. Does that resonate? Yeah, it's the first level of fear is, uh, wow, this is a big idea. And, 
you know, we're, we're a bunch of young people in their late twenties and early thirties. Um, are we going to be able to do it justice? Yeah. Okay. Are we going to, which, which speaks to the, to the beauty of the big idea, right? What's behind that? What's the fear that actually exists behind that? For me personally or as an organization? For, for you. For you. Don't depersonalize it. Stay with the personal. It's probably it's probably a sort of generic fear of not being good enough. Yeah. Of my sense of everything being okay, being tied to stuff that I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the first level form is escape the city because the city is the place in which all that negative energy exists. The second level of form is ascribe or or prescribe for yourself these beautiful aspirational values because that will make sure that we don't do this. And then there's this perfectionism that lives beneath it, which is a defense. It's a defense against a particular belief. And the particular belief is, I'm not mm. good enough. Mm-hmm. Here's a line for you. I'm going to go back to what you said to me. How can we walk the talk of living and working differently? What do you feel about people who don't walk the talk? Well, if that talking and not walking they're my greatest fear which is to be a hypocrite yeah so the fear behind the fear is what about you who the fuck are you rob to teach other people how to escape the city you don't know anything you got it yeah man you're you're good at the voice in my head oh yeah oh yeah yeah that voice And that voice, which says, work harder, work smarter, right? That voice, which is always watching you really diligently saying to you, hey, 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 you stepped out of line. You're not living, quote unquote, the values. That voice is relentless. Mm. And here's the really, really hard part about the thing you're attempting to do, which is to build this gorgeous mechanism for people to really transform their lives and live out their work in a meaningful way. That's your practice point, my friend. That's the hardest part. If you want to change the name of the organization, now might be a good time to change it from Escape the City to escape the voice. <laughs> You're right. Right? It's why do we go to the city in the first place? Does does a five-year-old wake up and say, can't wait to put on that gray flannel suit and commute into the city and work a hundred hours a week? Of course not. No, we go into the city because of the voice as well. In what way? Because of all the shoulds. This is how you should. This is what success is. This is how you should be living. This is what you should be achieving. Yeah. And the joke is, the irony is, is you you can escape physically. You can wear t-shirts and board shorts and work uh, in a coffee shop. But if that voice is still with you, you haven't escaped. Amen, brother. No No. one gets out of, gets, no one escapes the need for radical self-inquiry, for stripping away delusion, for really looking in the mirror and saying, what is is the bag of shit that I'm carrying forward? What is the self-defeating, self-denigrating line of of expression that I carry with me from Mm. cubicle to cubicle to cubicle, from relationship to relationship to relationship, from life situation to life situation to life situation. Moreover, can you see how the setup, and it wasn't just the hours that you worked, 
It wasn't mm. just the perfectionism, but the entire setup, which was, my God, I escaped the city and I'm still living and feeling like a fraud. And the result is an organization of people who are well-intentioned idealists. Because I imagine now, to go back to the organization, it's not just mm. you, mm. is it, Rob? It's a whole bunch of people who are committed to escaping the voice. Does, yeah. this, does this resonate? It resonates massively. And there are two things. One is just naming it helps. Um, just speaking to the team about it, having someone like Elle come in and, and run a council session where it's, it's okay to talk about, to share how our struggles. Yeah. But the thing that got me earlier this year was I was like, awareness, I've got a narrative of what's happened. I'm done. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> that's not how it works. Um, and that's the beginning, as you say, of, of the practice. And I fall off every day. Um, you know, I knew this before I burnt out. I knew this two years ago. I was uh, uh, coaching with a man called John Morgan, a lovely guy. Who, and he said to me, we were in a canoe on the River Thames. And he said to me, Rob, tell me all the ways that you haven't yet escaped the city. And he said, how will you know when you have? And I, and I kind of already knew what we were talking about. I hadn't had to properly face it because it wasn't hurting me enough yet. Um, in the same way as uh, the best thing we've done as an organization in terms of what we offer to the world is these um, three-month programs, uh, tribes, communities of people coming together to do this work. And even before we had this collective, and my, I had my individual breakdown, but as the organization, we had our crisis of faith this year, we knew that a huge chunk of these three-month programs was about introspection and self-inquiry. But it's funny, the same addiction that I have to the voice, you can say to a group of 50 people on a weekly basis, this isn't about the external transition. It's part of it. It's Your problems are not going to be solved when you build a business. Your problems are not going to be solved by a dream job. And they'll all nod because intellectually it makes sense. They know that it's also about redefining success and, and, and like you say, opening up that bag of shit. But it goes so deep in all of us that you see the same behaviors coming up again and again in other people and people we work with. And, and you know, I, I say this because very humbly because the person I see it coming up in the most is me. So transformation of the type that you're talking about, you use the word practice, I use the word practice, transformation of the type that we're all talking about, whether it was John, your first coach, or Elle, your current coach, or myself, or even you speaking with others, comes about not as a consequence of cognitive awareness, it comes about in slow increments, like drips of water on a stone, over time, and it takes patience, and it takes courage, right. and it's the drop, 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 drop of water on a stone that eventually splits the stone. Mm. That transformation is embodied it requires a kind of fearlessness and it requires the inquiry into something much deeper than the cognitive conscious lines that we tell ourselves. John O'Donoghue, the late Irish poet, former priest, has a beautiful blessing called For a Leader. And in it, he has a line there, which I often quote, which is, may you be surrounded by good friends who mirror your blind spots. Hmm. It requires community where we each help each other see where our work remains. In this case, how can we walk the talk of living and working differently mm. is a beautiful breadcrumb on the trail of Rob. And if we follow that back, 
there's some time period in your childhood in which this conflict, this self-imposed construct of I want to be this thing, I should be this thing, but I'm really this other thing, Mm. that split Mm. got formed. And maybe it is even inherited. Maybe Mm. it's a gift of unresolved issues from mom and dad, Mm. which was a gift of unresolved issues from their moms and dads, and so on and so on and so on. When we at Reboot talk about these kinds of things, we talk about using work not as a means to escape, but using work to do our work so Mm. that we get to realize our fullest potential as human beings. And so the, the gift of the hand of the friend holding you down is to say, hey, so Rob, when did the voices of shoulds start forming in your head? And what is it that, and this is the important thing, what is it that they're trying to protect you from? Instead of seeing them as the hand of an enemy, needing to be escaped from, what if they're the hand of a friend needing to be befriended? What if it's about transforming the relationship with the voice? What if that voice loves you and is just trying to protect you? in a nagging, annoying way. If that voice loves you, and the truth is, Rob, it probably does, what else would it say, aside from the fact that you're a fraud and don't be a hypocrite? If the voice... If the voice is trying to help me through through being critical or through being... What if the voice loved you? But doesn't know it. Well, doesn't know how mm. to express its love except through criticism. Mm. Mm. What would it say other than something critical? I think it would say, I know what I want it to say. I would want it to say, you're okay, regardless of what you do. But that's not what it would say. It would say, I'm trying to make you feel okay, feel in control, feel worthy by getting you to do all this stuff. And its theory is, if I get you to do all this stuff, I reckon we'll be okay. And what would you say to it, to that voice, starting with, thank you? I'd say, thank you. You've helped me get a long way, but I don't think this is working out anymore. (sighs) And so so we need to find another way to do this. (sighs) Yeah. How does that feel? feels quite exciting. Do you notice something about that voice? Is it strong? Not particularly. I mean, it's, it's kind of almost invisible. Uh-huh. I mean, th- that's its greatest trick is you don't realize um, it just comes across as thoughts to yourself. What if that voice, that hand of a friend, What if it's got some power and some capability? Mm. I mean, I imagine that voice has enabled you to do extraordinary things in your life. Mm. Like work really, really hard and create something out of nothing. Mm. I know that it also came with a cost. 
I think the power in the voice is it's also telling me you can do good things. You can do great things. Uh, you've got ideas. You have the desire and energy to turn them into a reality. Let's get on with it. Let's do it. Let's do this stuff. Um, and a bunch of that is really positive kind of life affirming energy. Mm. But as you say, the way I interpret it or the way I enact it comes with, um, I pay a high price for that. Yeah. And, and, and I think that voice has a, has a kind of edginess to it. That's kind of fear based, which is, Hey Rob, if you don't realize your full potential, which mm. I know you have, mm. then we're going to be massively disappointed. It's like a threat, like a threat. And so it's really trying to protect you. Do you, do you hear it? It's trying to protect you from that kind of sense of, Mm. Oh my God, this missed opportunity, this missed potential. Mm -hmm. When I hear that voice, one of the things I say to it is, thanks a lot, but I got this. <laughs> and I really appreciate the ways in which you are looking out for me. And be my friend and be my ally and don't worry so much. Now, Rob, you've got a, a six-month-old? Yeah. A boy, girl? Little girl, yeah. What's her name? Lua. Lua. So now I'm going to do something that's really, really unfair. Okay? Because you know where I'm going, my friend. So let's fast forward. How old are you, 30, 31, 32? 33. 33, okay. Our last Saturday. Okay. Mazel tov. Happy birthday. Thank you. Lua is 33. She's on the 33 years from now version of a video chat across the Atlantic with a coach. And she's saying to her coach, that voice is relentless. What is it that you would like Lua to have in her relationship to that voice? Hmm. It's funny. Um, on Saturday this weekend, we're doing a welcoming ceremony for Lua. Ah. And, and right here in my notebook, I have, um, I guess, a prayer that I'm going to read out for her mm -hmm. to welcome her. And um, the laugh is, is what I want to say to her is what I guess I would want to say to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just read you the relevant bit of it because it's right here in front of me. So I say, my promise to you is to be your friend in exploring and learning about the world, to be your support when you need it, to be your counsel when you ask for it, and to be your biggest fan and most loyal friend no matter what. And then I say, I will try to help you live a life full of truth and beauty and generosity and connection. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what you do or who you become. Whatever you choose is fine by me. So let's frame that. That is your prayer, as beautiful as it is. That is your prayer from father to daughter. And as you noted, this is something that actually is in dialogue within Rob. And we got to this by talking about what dialogue you would want for your daughter to have with her inner voices. Say the part again about being your friend. Um, my promise to you is to be your friend in exploring and learning about the world. Hold that thought for a moment. So you know that voice, the voice that says, hey, Rob, don't be a hypocrite. What if that voice was the voice of the friend who's with you in exploring the world? What if the friendship implicit in that wish is with yourself? Mm. 
I think it would change how I felt about what I'm trying to do. Mm. Because I don't see it at the moment as a, an exploration. I see it as something as I have to get right, mm. which kind of is, goes against even the concept of exploration. Mm. Now, I'd like to read a poem to you. This is a poem that for me speaks to the whole question of our relationship with our own self, with all the various voices that live within us. And it's a poem called Love After Love by Derek Walcott. Love After Love. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Love after love, Derek Walcott. You know, Rob, I'm 52. I'll be 53 in December. I have three children, all of whom are adults now. I've learned a few things in life. I've learned, for example, that if we want to create organizations that live up to our aspirational values, if we want to be the parents that we truly in our heart want, if we want to be the men and women that we are born to be. We have to feast on our own life. We have to love again the stranger who was ourself. Including that sometimes annoying voice that says you're not good enough. Packing that voice up and shipping it out doesn't really work. Creating a company that says, we're just a good company and we're going to do good stuff in the world suppresses a part of ourselves that reaches up and grabs us by the neck and drags us back down and says, sit the fuck down. Stop. Don't ignore me. I am the stranger who has loved you all of your life. And yeah, sometimes I say nasty things to you, but it's only because I love you. You want to live out the truest meaning of your values and your mission statement and your purpose, which is gorgeous and beautiful and totally in alignment with the things I care about in the world? Peel your own image from the mirror. Take down the photographs and the desperate notes. Feast on your life. Mm. Thank you. The, um, it's so uncomfortable to realize all the ways in which you are a stranger to yourself. And also... That's why this year's experience, which was, you know, I wouldn't have wished it on my worst enemy. Now I wouldn't trade for anything. I wouldn't give it away because it, in it has the potential for the work I now need to do. And, and yeah, maybe there were prompts before this year's crash of like something tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, we need to change. We need to change. But I obviously wasn't listening. Um, 
and that's the gift. The gift is that I didn't even know that this was the work I needed to do until now to befriend myself, to feast on my life. It's terrifying because I still feel completely illiterate in terms of how to go about doing that work, as you said, in a, in a um, embodied way, not because uh, I can do it in an intellectual way. Yes. Um, and that's where I, I say to Elle sometimes, I feel very illiterate on what this actually feels like because mm-hmm. I can get the concept. So uh, a word of advice on that. The path lies through the body, through the sensory experiences. The path through the intellect is tempting, understandably so. Creates a kind of... um, intellectual framework that is quite calming initially. It's like, oh, okay, this is what I have to do. Mm. But artists like poets and musicians and painters, as well as children, as well as the earth itself, are all beyond the intellect. Spiritual traditions, wisdom traditions that stretch back millennia are all beyond the intellectual. Mm. Sitting meditation practice is not an intellectual practice. It's an embodied practice. Yoga is not an intellectual practice. It's an embodied practice. Parenting is not an intellectual process. It's an embodied practice. Leadership the intellectual part of leadership is just a fraction of what it is. And therein lies both the difficulty and the opportunity. Right? Mm. That's what the promise of all of this is. That's what your subconscious, that's what your unconscious was really after when it said, I want to form and escape the city. And that's the opportunity in front of you. The bad news is nirvana is not attainable in this lifetime. Enlightenment is not the goal. Relief from suffering is the goal. Oh, by the way, that may lead to, okay, great. And so every single day, you're going to be presented with the practice and the opportunity to grow. The closing line of John O'Donoghue's For a Leader is, and may leadership for you be a true adventure of growth. Mm. Never, ever, ever stop the practice of growth. Do you want to not be depressed? Keep growing. Was that helpful? Yes. I mean, and it, it was emotional and 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 uncomfortable, which reminds me of the uh, the kind of slap in the face realization that I have every now and then when I reflect on what growth really is, which is that it never looks like growth. <laughs> And it always hurts. (laughs) And, you know, growth, the ideal, the nirvana of growth is just this sort of beautiful, incremental, upward, effortless (laughs) glide. And actually, it looks more like a mud fight um, with yourself. (laughs) And the, the, the parts of this conversation that were hardest for me and the messages that were hardest for me to listen to were hard because they were what I need to know and do in order to grow. The bits that I could just tell you the analysis that I've done on my own burnout were fine. They were fun for me, but uh, they weren't really what this is about in terms of, like you say, not stopping the practice of growth. Because I can already do that. I already, I already can do the intellectual bit. So 
thank you for kicking my ass in a nice, compassionate way across the Atlantic. <laughs> and, uh, and just reminding me. Well, thank you for being a fellow traveler, a community member in the Sangha, a committed person to relieving the suffering of people that, that are, are, are really struggling with the existential dilemmas implicit in work and life. You know, if all of us in some form or another were committed to that practice, it'd be kind of nicer way to live. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank everybody on your team for what they do. And um, thank Al. Because you've got a good, good ally in your work there. Yeah, thank God for Al. Yeah, yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Jerry. It was, um, I really valued this conversation massively, so thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a rating on iTunes. Your rating is the single most effective way for new listeners to find and enjoy the show. You can also get all Reboot podcast episodes by signing up at reboot.io slash signup. There's a link for that in our show notes. I am Dan Putt from Reboot, and you've been listening to the Reboot Podcast. Thanks for joining. How long till my soul gets it right?